You may be seated, brethren, and I invite you to turn in your copies of the Scriptures to 1 Samuel chapter 8. For the benefit of our visitors, we are working through a sermon series on the covenants of God, and today we're coming to consider uh, from afar, actually, uh, the Davidic covenant. And so we're going to begin... uh, that study in the Davidic covenant by looking at how the people of Israel wanted a king. And uh, and that we find in 1 Samuel 8. The Davidic covenant is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and that's where we'll be next week. Today we're in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and then I'm going to read a couple verses from Psalm 29 after reading the entirety of 1 Samuel 8. Hear once again the very words of God. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king, and he said, this will be the behavior of the king who, you will, who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and and you will be his servants." And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. 
And now from Psalm 29, verses 10 and 11. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. Brethren, the grass withers, the flowers, they fade away, but the Word of God stands forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we consider, begin to consider the covenant that you made on behalf of David, the, the second king in Israel, we give thanks that his covenant redounds to our benefit in the new covenant with Jesus Christ sitting on your throne. We thank you, Father, that you keep your promises, that nothing will stay your hand You will bring all that You've decreed to pass. And we give thanks for that. Help help us to find comfort in that. Help us to acknowledge Your sovereignty over all things, even calamities that befall the earth, as the prophet Amos taught us, that if calamity befalls a city, have not You, the Lord, done it? We acknowledge that, and we know that even in our day, calamities befall us. And we know that they are for our good and Your glory that You've purposed all that comes to pass. And we take thanks. We give thanks for that and take comfort from it. Help us to always trust in You. To never waver. To never think that You're not there. You always are there. Imminent with us. And this we give thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Well, brethren, we have progressed in our study, as I've mentioned, through the covenants of the Old Testament to this of the last great covenant of the Old Testament, of the Davidic covenant. But I've chosen a text from 1 Samuel 8 that precedes the Davidic covenant by some 33 years. Our, our text uh, records events that happened at approximately 1075 B.C., while the Davidic covenant would not be given until 1042 B.C., And that's according to Matthew Henry's accounting of time in the Old Covenants. So why have I chosen to draw our attention to this passage in preparation of our study of the Davidic Covenant? The answer is found in verse 7 of our text. There, in verse 7, is the foundation of our understanding of the Davidic Covenant. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. That's the bedrock of the Davidic covenant. God desires to reign over His people. God desires to reign over everything. So let me ask a question. Does He do it? Does He reign over everything? Well, of course He does. But the people of Israel at that time did not want God to be their king. They wanted a king like all the other nations. We'll get to that in a few moments. But here we have an assessment of God's people that is most telling. And that assessment comes from God Himself. The Israelites, the chosen people of God, whose very name means to wrestle with God. That's what Israel means, to wrestle with God. They have been assessed by Jehovah and found wanting. In verse 1 of our text, the sons of Samuel, Joel and Abijah, had been made judges by Samuel in his old age. Likely because 
it was difficult for him to travel all over Israel to judge the people. That's likely the reason. So he's appointing other men to judge on his behalf. And he appoints his two sons. Now these men are good men. These men were corrupt. And the Israelites knew it. And they despised it. So they desired a king, quote, like the other nations, end quote, verse 5. Instead of desiring Jehovah to govern them in righteousness, through his appointed means at that time, they wanted a king instead. Now here I must pause and draw your attention to some of the details of our passage. First, it was not a bad thing that Israel desired to rid themselves of Joel and Abijah, two men who were governing them that are described as men who turned aside for, uh, for after a dishonest gang, gain, took bribes and perverted justice. In verse 3, by any measure, these men were tyrants. To desire men who rule with righteousness is a, a noble and a right thing to desire. And so for them to not want these men to, to rule over them was a good thing. However, the demand of the Israelites upon Samuel was not to be given a righteous king, but rather a king to judge us like all the other nations. And that's why Samuel was so displeased with this, this request. We, we don't quite have a sense of how bad the request was until we compare it with some other passages from Scripture. And I'll get to those in a moment. But they wanted a king like the other nations. In their zeal to relieve themselves of tyrants, they chose poorly. And God would give them over to their hasty desire. What other nations had as kings were not righteous kings. What other nation would have a righteous king or even understand what true righteousness was? None, because no other nation had in their possession the written law of God. They didn't know what righteousness was. Only the Israelites had righteousness in their possession, and that was the Mosaic Covenant. Only Israel, only Israel possessed that covenant, God's law, written for them to guide their nation in true justice and righteousness. And last week we, we toyed with the idea, I, I say toyed, I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, I mean only in the sense that we just touched on it, that God took Abraham and Sarah, who had one son, Isaac, who had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and only one of those sons God loved. The Bible tells us, uh, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. God said that himself. And then uh, uh, Esau, <coughs> Esau would then be a, would have children too. But Jacob would have 12 sons, and then those 12 sons were a, basically a clan that would have to make their way to Egypt in a family. And then it would remain there for 400 years. And over that 400-year period of time, that clan would grow to two and a half million people. And God would deliver them from the tyrant Pharaoh. But they weren't a nation yet. And God had to show them what it was like to live as a nation of people, as a kingdom. And so he, he desired, as we see in this passage today, to be the one who would rule over them, and he would do that and does that, and I'll get to that in a few moments. 
But he wanted to be the one who would rule over them, and he put up a, a means by which justice would be meted out through a series of elders in the land. <coughs> Excuse me. Moses would appoint elders over uh, differing numbers who would govern these people with this new covenant that he had given to Moses, God had given to Moses on Mount Sinai, which is summarized for us in the Ten Commandments. They knew what justice was because God had put it in their hands. It was in a, a golden ark inside the, the, the uh, tabernacle, which they would carry with them. The, the summary of the law was placed there. That place of, of righteousness uh, where they were supposed to bring their, their sacrifices as well. This was the place where they would find true justice. And God would appoint men to mete out that justice according to his will. But now, here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, not only are they throwing off by their request uh, these two men, these two tyrants, sons of Samuel, but they're also throwing off God himself. God's, God, God interprets for Samuel what's happening here. They're not just rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so Samuel, because you're the one who I've entrusted true judgment with in the people of Israel, you're the judge. Because they've thrown me away, they're throwing you away as well. Let us be careful to understand that what is truly taking place, what is truly taking place in this account was Israel only rejecting the sons of Samuel in this account or were they also rejecting Samuel himself and God? And secondly, had God never promised a king to govern Israel or had he promised a king to govern Israel following the days of the judges? Well, I'm going to answer those questions. The first question, had he ever promised a king in Israel. I'm going to answer that at the end of the sermon today. And had he promised to, to give kings to Israel after the days of judges, that I'm going to begin answering right now. We must be reminded that God had indeed revealed in the Mosaic law that kings would govern the nation of Israel. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 17. If you don't want to turn there, I'm going to read the passage anyway. So it's Deuteronomy 17, 14 uh, through 20. Here we see that God had revealed to Israel how kings should be chosen and govern them. So this is prior to 1 Samuel 8 by some many, uh, I would imagine, centuries at this point. God revealed to Moses these, these words. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say... I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Notice that it's whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren, you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, 
that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So God, several centuries ago, before 1 Samuel 8, when these people are asking for a king, he taught the people of Israel in the Mosaic Covenant how to choose a king and what that king's character should be like, the demeanor of that king as well. Now let's return to our text. Notice that in verse 4, the elders of Israel acknowledged before Samuel that his sons did not walk in Samuel's ways. So claiming that Samuel's agedness precluded him from returning to service, they assumed that, I should say. They demanded a king. So they wanted, a, they wanted someone to govern them in a, some form of righteousness. They didn't like the tyrants of Samuel's sons, the tyrannical attitudes of those two men. But they didn't, they didn't plead to Samuel either and say, we know you're aged, but can you still govern us? Because you're a wise man and you're righteous and we need that kind of judgment in our land. No, they threw off both the sons and Samuel himself and asked for a king, a king like the other nations of the world. Many a commentary believed that a king was to follow civil service anyway but that the elders of Israel were not patient. They wanted it now. Does that sound familiar in our day? We we want things to happen right away. We don't want to be patient for God's fullness of His time to come to fruition. We'd rather, we think we know better than God. God, do it our way. We want a king now, they said, the elders of Israel. They didn't want to do it according to God's timing. They didn't want Samuel's sons to govern them, nor did they want Samuel to govern them. They wanted to be like the world. And they had no intention of wanting a just king, as described in Deuteronomy 17. They truly wanted a king like the other nations, a king who was a law unto unto himself. That's what they're asking for. And that's why God says, not only don't think that they're rejecting you so much, Samuel, they're rejecting me. You're my, you're my servant in this circumstance. In that, in that way, they're rejecting you. But truly, they're rejecting me, the one who's delivered them from other tyrants, and now they're asking for their, a, a tyrant of their own making. And there's another passage that I want to bring to your attention that speaks of the haste and the ill-timing of men. There, there is a, a sense in the Scripture that not even Saul was the first king in Israel. Did you know that? That there was a king in Israel before Saul? Did you know that? His name's Abimelech. He was the son of Gideon. And we're going to go and and see an account of what this man was like. Turn with me, if you will, to Judges chapter (coughs) 9. I'm going to read a large portion of this chapter. It tells of a parable that Abimelech's brother brother gave 
to the people of Israel. His brother's name is Jotham. By the way, Gideon, Jotham's father, Abimelech's father, had 70 sons. 70 sons. Uh, you, you who have large families know the challenge of that. Now, now think about 70 sons. Okay, I, had, I have two sons. At times they were challenging. Most of the time they were very good. And I, I appreciated that very much. But to have 70 sons, that's a, a major circumstance. All right, Judges chapter 9, beginning in verse 7. Now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out. And he said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. I, I should probably back up just a bit and give you some background here. Abimelech convinced the men of Shechem to follow him as their king. That's why, in a sense, there was a king before Saul in Israel. He set himself up as a king. And he and the men of Shechem killed all of his brothers except for Jotham. And it was because Jotham hid himself. It wasn't because Jotham you know, was spared because Abimelech wanted a witness to what he had done. That's not why. He would have killed him as well. Abimelech would have killed him as well. But he had hid himself. He's come out of hiding. Abimelech is there with the men of Shechem. And, and Jotham comes out. He went and he stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and he lifted his voice and cried out. And he said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them. Here's the, here's the parable. And they said to the olive trees, reign over us. But the olive trees said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go and sway over trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go and sway over trees? Then the trees said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, should I cease my new wine, which, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, I'm going to pause there a moment. You all know what a bramble is, right? Have you ever been in the south? Some of you people are from the south, so you, you, you know where I'm going with this. There's a, there's a plant down there called kudzu. You, you've seen it driving along the freeway, right? It grows over everything. It grows up the, the, the telephone poles and across the, tel- the, the wires on the fo- poles. It grows over everything. How it grows over everything is a mystery. How does it grow over concrete? It does. How, how, you know, it, it, it overtakes everything. That's what a bramble is. Okay, listen to this. Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, uh, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So here's a bramble, a weed that overtakes everything. And it wants to be king over all the trees. And the trees... They bow to it, and they allow that to happen. Verse 16, Now therefore, if you have acted in truth, this is Jotham speaking to the the men of Shechem, 
If you've acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house, Jeroboam is Gideon, by the way. That was another name given to Gideon, uh, Jeroboam, and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. That's a commentary that Jothan's giving. My father, Jeroboam, delivered you out of the hands of the Midianites. Have you dealt with him righteously? Have you dealt with his household righteously? Remember, these are the men that had killed all of Jotham's brothers, save for Abimelech, who who they made their king. But you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. (coughs) Excuse me. If then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech his brother. Now, you may ask, we're talking, supposed to be talking about the Davidic covenant. Why am I bringing this up? Why am I going back to, to Judges to look at this circumstance? Well, brethren, Jotham spoke this parable of the bramble, or of the kudzu, if you will, to the people of God because of their rejection of God's governance by way of righteous judges. God had risen, had raised up Gideon. And now Gideon had died. And did the people of Israel follow after another righteous judge? No. They chose a king named Abimelech, who was an evil man. So evil that he killed 68 of his brethren, of his own brothers. When God's people reject God's appointed means to govern them and embrace a bramble king, that's what I call Abimelech, a bramble king, not of God's own choosing, both in time and in circumstance, blessings don't follow, cursings follow. That's what we saw last week with the sanctions of breaking covenant with God. The men of Shechem did indeed die by fire for following Abimelech, and Abimelech would die an ignominious death as well, and I commend to you the, the, the chapter previous and the chapter after this portion of the book of Judges for your reading this afternoon. These, these accounts are for our benefit. You break covenant with God, there are consequences to it. And God shows it in a very deliberate way there in that, in that account. Brethren, God is not mocked. He is sovereign, and His decrees always come to pass. No matter how mighty men think they are, and in our day and age, their might is tremendous. No matter how mighty men think they are, none can stay or turn the mighty hand of God. None can stay or turn the mighty hand of God. Now we shall see beginning next week that Israel's first king, chosen by God, 
would indeed be a king that would govern much like the kings of the nations around Israel. He would fulfill this very prophecy that Samuel gave the people of Israel in 1 Samuel 8. However, as God is gracious and merciful, and He is, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and He is, He would raise up a righteous king. Again, a man of His own choosing who would be promised that His seed would sit on the throne forever. The seed of David would sit on the throne forever. And that is so important for us to understand. I want to point something out, and I'm going to speak to this, and I'll probably get a whole bunch of questions about this later, and that's okay. You can ask me about this later. But notice, we're going to see this next week. God chooses Saul to sit on the throne first in Israel. And Saul would be one of the kinds of kings that Samuel talks about in his prophecy in this particular passage. He he was not a, a good guy. Saul was not a good man. I don't think we will see him in heaven. I think he'll be judged for his actions over Israel with eternal punishment. I don't think we'll see him in heaven. David, I do. David also, at times, acted like the the king that Samuel prophesied here. His son would even more so, Solomon, who was considered the wisest man to ever live on the earth. And yet, even in that wisdom, he was not not the man of God's own choosing for Israel. Remember that God wanted to be the one who governed Israel. God wanted to be their king. Would He ever be that king to Israel? I'm seeing a lot of blank stares here. I hope you know the answer to this question. The answer is yes. Would God rule over Israel? Absolutely. Does God rule over us right now? Absolutely. What's His name? Jesus the Christ. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's what's going to be promised in the Davidic covenant. And will come to pass. Now, each one of the previous studies we've done in this series, I've traced a thread of God's promises from the prior patriarchs to the present covenant. And I want to do it here. I'm going to tighten it up next week a little bit, but I want to begin it right now. I want to pose a few questions for you to consider in anticipation of next week's lesson. God had promised to Abraham that he would be the father of many, what? Nations. Nations. Had God promised to Abraham and Sarah that kings would come from them as part of God's covenant promises that he would be the father of many nations? Was he promised kings would come from him? Abraham. Not only was he promised that, Sarah was promised that as well. Look it up. Genesis 17. If God is building a kingdom with his people, and I believe he is, right? Didn't, didn't Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand? It's right here in front of you. What was he speaking about? 
If God is building a kingdom, and he is, doesn't a kingdom, by definition, need a king? Have you ever heard of a kingdom without a king? I suppose it's possible, but I don't think it's very likely. It has always been in the plan and purpose of God to raise up kings and a king of kings to govern his people. But isn't it in the timing of God that this should happen? As he decides when it should come to pass? I think it is. And so in closing, I remind you of two other passages regarding the timing of God, and these are found in the New Covenant, these passages. Galatians 4.4 and Ephesians 1.9-10. Hear these verses. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. And now let me remind you of the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and do what? Disciple the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. And that passage ends with an affirmation for us. The word, Amen. So be it. Let's pray.